Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Paul Katmer, creative director, founder, writer, podcaster. When it comes to the ad industry, you name it, he's probably done it and been awarded for it. Most recently known as founder of agency Barnes Katmer and Friends with his partner, Daniel Barnes, Paul has led an incredible career. Starting with a uni degree in the UK, he then decided to go on and become a croupier in London and the Bahamas, as you do. He later became a copywriter, having studied at London's School of Communication Arts. He spent many years at YNR London, then came to New Zealand in 2000, where he ended up as Executive Creative Director at well-known ad agency DDB New Zealand, followed by a stint in Melbourne ad agency George Patterson YNR. In 2008, Paul joined with Daniel Barnes to set up Barnes, Katmer & Friends. BCNF went on to be consistently ranked the number one independent agency in Asia-Pacific for effectiveness and number five in the world, and ended up being bought by the Dentsu Network, where the agency remains, albeit now under the Dentsu brand. Paul now spends much of his time walking his dogs, fishing, podcasting, writing a novel, and talking in the media about mediocrity. And luckily for us, he'll spend the next wee while talking to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Well, thank you, Ben. I've never heard my CV read out like that before, and it's quite scary, but there you go. It is. It's funny, isn't it? When you when you look back on it, there's a there's a hell of a lot you've done. Um, what what do you reckon's the common thread between all of those things? Um, trying to be happy. There you go. Just uh, you know, I ended up working in the casino because I couldn't. Um, I didn't know what else I wanted to do, and it was it was a job that uh, paid and was uh, more interesting than some of the alternatives. And then fighting to get into advertising. And um, uh, doing okay, and then starting um, our own agency. Um, the common thread: hard work, and uh, yeah, just trying to be happy. I'm I'm interested to talk about the ad industry because you know lots of our listeners won't have worked in it. Um, where where do um, where does sales come into it for an for an ad man? You know, when you you're creating a concept, how does how does sales come into doing what you do? Well, ad advertising, I, I think, over the years has got a little bit skewed. And um, when I started, which was uh, just after the Crimean War, the object of uh, advertising was to help clients sell their products. And uh, if you did it in an exceptional way that the industry admired, in an exceptionally creative way, then they give you an award for it. And then I, over the, the 30 years since I started, it, it's kind of skewed a bit so that for many people within the business, the object of the ad is to win an award, not to sell the client's product. So w when we started the agency, um, we made a conscious effort to um, put all the creative awards to one side and just to do our best to sell the product and to be as, as effective as we could for our clients, and uh, you know, thankfully that worked. Is I'm not trying to sell anything now, so that so that's okay. But that was the the, the basis of the agency. So when so when clients um, 
become clients and they start looking for an agency, what what would you see as the sort of top things they should look for or questions they should ask when talking to people? I, I think they should they should talk about uh, they should talk to the agencies about effectiveness. So they they'd say, what have you done? Don't don't show me uh, glossy, wonderful ads that um, you know may may have won international awards. Show me examples of how you have helped your clients to to grow their business. Over the years, um, you've worked on a fair few products and campaigns. What what would be what would be a few that you you know you look back on and you think of as a real success commercially in terms of effectiveness? I guess uh, there's examples in all of, all the agencies that I've worked for, but I won't bore your listeners with all of those. One that I will uh, choose from uh, Barnes Catman Friends was Boundary Road Brewery when the client, which at, at the time it was, they're now called. Uh, Sahi Premium Beverages, I think, and um, they came to us. We were working with them on other projects. They said, right, we, we want to launch a craft beer. That was the entirety of the brief. <laughs> and we you know, look, looked at the market and went, all right, this is going to be a bit tricky. But we worked out a strategy. We designed the product. We did the website. We did the advertising. Uh, you're working with a client, obviously. We, we, we put everything together from scratch and created... A, um, a product and a campaign that uh, sells fantastically well uh, even now, and we haven't been involved with it for a couple of years. And the it, it was a great website. It, it was a great campaign. It, it's a great product. And th- uh, that's something that I'm proud of. A- actually, uh, looking back on what we did, the thing that, that kind of irritates me is that with all that success and effectiveness, nobody ever really asked us to do it again. For another product, which I, I, I can't understand. But there you go. But it, it's it's interesting. There's a hell of a lot of trust, isn't there, coming to you with a brief that says we want to launch this, and to have you involved in all in all those different facets. Yes, uh, and I, I hopefully in this case it's uh, it, it was considered well placed, and and I think that's a good example of of a client a client and their agency partners working together to get to a common goal, as opposed to. Too often you're hired late in the, the process and the client says, we, we've got this product, we want you to advertise it. And you look at the product and you go, well, is this, is this really the right product? And I think that, that was one of the key things you asked, what was, what was a key lesson uh, for sales and marketing, which is that the most important element of that is a product. And, and too often that, that's forgotten. And when it, it comes time to get the um, the sales and marketing people and the agency involved, they're presented with a product that probably isn't the ideal way to start. Is that is that about an understanding, I suppose, of what marketing is uh, in addition to just comms? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. I, I think um, marketing is more than that. I will give you an example. Early on in my time in New Zealand, we were asked by a large confectionery company uh, <laughs> to do some uh, ads for their uh, chocolate. And they said, oh, we've got, a, we've got a, a pesky local competitor who is taking a considerable amount of sales of us. So we need a, we need a, a new campaign and new marketing to mm. fight back the sales. So I said, uh, okay. And you had a li- little look into it, which, which wasn't hard. And the competitor's product was uh, better designed. It looked look way better in the stores. Um, consumers preferred it in taste tests. And it was considerably cheaper. Now, what the hell is an advertising campaign supposed to do in those kind of circumstances? Mm. The, the client really needs to go back to his product and sort it out. 
as I say, that, that, so that was about, I don't know, 15, 15 years ago, and uh, be interested to see how sales have progressed since then. Wasn't it, wasn't it Bill Burnback said um, you can only sell a bad product once? Well, I don't know that I, I believe you, uh, but there are, there are actually uh, plenty of um, bad products about which are being sold, but it, would be, it makes things a hell of a lot easier for everyone if, if you start with a good product. Yeah, yeah. Well, so think, thinking through, you know, your years in the business, what what are some of the um, examples you think back on when you sold an idea into a client that that was hard to do, but you know, you pleased you pleased you did it. That was my life. It, I think it's 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 a very hard thing for for clients to do because uh, for agencies, you know, I've mentioned this before. We uh, uh, people working with agency you have a number of clients, you have a number of products, you have another number of campaigns, and you do. You do your best to try and make them as good as you can, but they're not a matter of life and death. Mm. And if 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 something it doesn't quite work, then you you know you tried and you, and you did absolutely your best, but there are there is no guarantee on anything either. I find it a little bit um, irritating when clients uh, can you guarantee this will work? Well, no, um, I can't. Uh, but for the clients, it's. It is a matter of life or death. It's their job. It's their it's their livelihood, mm. and and it's and it's all based on that one campaign. And if that one campaign doesn't work, they they lose their job, and the, you know, the whole company can end up in trouble. And that that's a huge responsibility. And it, agencies can be critical of clients for them being nervous and for them being not sure. And I, and I think there is a that's with good reason. But like I say, you cannot you cannot guarantee it. And all the money that's spent on research, which supposedly will guarantee that a that a campaign will work, is is probably often money that's wasted. It's interesting. It's one of the few areas that you know people in a business will spend money on, and it's you know it's it's probably a bit more of a gamble than you know lots of other things that they do day to day. So it probably takes a different way of thinking about it. What what uh, research are you talking about there? Ben? No, correct creativity. All oh, right, yeah, um, creativity. When you're buying ideas. Yes, it's. There are no, there are no guarantees. You look at Hollywood. Hollywood, whose whose job is to make movies, and they've been making movies for oh, I don't know about 110 years now. And that all they do, and yet the success rate of Hollywood movies that make money is 50%. Their entire job worth company is about movies, and it's all they know about. And yet they're only right half of the time. And why is that? It's well, creative. It's it's very difficult when you're making a movie. So you make, you're making uh, 90 minutes of film, and you have directors and actors and cast and crew and weather and scripts, and there are so many variables to get them all coming right, mm. and uh, such that when it comes out in the movies, people uh, clamour to go and see it. It's just very very difficult. So. How do you how do you suggest people give themselves the best chance of success? So when it comes to um, you know advertising marketing activity, what are the I suppose what would be your your tips to to people when when approaching it? Well, it's, you have to work with people that you trust and ideally that you like and people that have a, a track record of having achieved in the past what you are looking to do in the future. I mean, if, like I say, even then that, that doesn't guarantee it, but that's a reasonable basis on which to start. And how, how do you how do you build that trust? Because you know you, you've worked with clients who you've worked with for you know for years and years and years, and you've worked with clients who've come in for one project and cleared off. How do you build those long term trusting relationships? 
Well, it, it's difficult because there's the, the certain practitioners of advertising who have who have got fantastic charismatic personalities and can uh, great salesmen and can walk into a room and everybody um, listens to them and pay attention. I'm thinking of people like uh, David Walden. Mm. Uh, personally, I never had that. I'm I'm terrible at parties. I'm not, I'm not great at working a room. All I have from my point of view is um, honesty and sometimes I'm maybe over honest and will say things that, that clients don't necessarily want to hear. Uh, other times clients will uh, completely appreciate it and know that someone that I can trust and that that's someone that they can trust and that, okay, there are, there are no doubt occasions on way where I may be wrong, but I'm always coming from a, a position of um, honesty and trying to do the best. That honesty is it, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because there's a there's a balance. People say they want it, but they don't always they don't always want to hear that outside view. It, it's very difficult. It's very. I mean, it's what it's what people do. If we were entirely honest in everything that we did and, and gave you know, ex- exact opinion of of how we feel at the time constantly, then the world will grind to a halt. I think uh, in um, acrimony. You know, <laughs> but um, yes, I, 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 certainly in business. You should be able to, and, and, and honesty—not rudeness, but uh, you know, honesty—should be encouraged. So, so if part of the value of an agency is giving you that outside view and that honest, honest view, what things are worth having in-house, and what things are worth outsourcing from a client's point of view? For me, the best people at any job, at any um, at uh, writing, at uh, creativity, are unlikely to want to come and work for your toilet paper company i use that as an example your company might be more interesting but they're they're unlikely to want to do that i would the the best company in the world let's say apple if if somebody said i I would certainly want to do it now but somebody said to me we're going to pay you a large amount of money we're going to take you to california and we're going to sit you in a room and you're going to spend the rest of your working life working on nothing but Apple products, I would not want to do it. So the variety and the uh, uh, looking at the looking at the world from through different prisms and, and in different ways is is really valuable to a client, I believe. See so many clients who are, are kind of understandably obsessed by their own products and cannot see it as the world sees it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's 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 kind of the job of the agency to go well okay you no know, your product's quite good but it's not that good and the the aspects of it that that you think are great and you want to tell people about are maybe not the aspects of the product that people would be interested in and if, if uh, people are in house uh, they don't do that so you so you're probably not getting the best people i don't mean to insult people to do it in house but you're probably not getting the best people and they're also if they're not doing a great job for you, it's actually very difficult to get rid of them. I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but if, if agencies aren't doing a good work for you, you can fire them and go and get another agency. If your internal agency is not doing a great job, it's very essentially very difficult to um, to force them to do it. You can threaten to an agency, look, you're not you're not doing what I want. You're re- you're really not helping me. Things have got to change, or I'm going to fire you. You can't you can't really do that internally. Some clients um, go through agencies like um, Clean Undies. So, why do some clients stick with agencies and others change them every, you know, every year or so? What's behind that? Do you reckon? Uh, th- I, th- I think there's, there's a whole lot of variables there, but the, 
the biggest one is obviously the marketing director. Mm. You get you get a new person who's in charge of marketing, and they come in and they. The, the, uh, there's a saying uh, in American business that that there is nothing as stupid in business as the previous um, layer of management. Uh, so a marketing. The, the natural inclination of marketing directors is to come in and go, oh, my God, what, uh, what, uh, what's what been going on here? Um, okay, I know what, we'll fire the agency. So so that's a that's a big one. I, I think if the, if, if the marketing is a product of the whole business rather than just the marketing department, that's probably less likely to happen because the whole business can appreciate that we have some people who have uh, deep-seated institutional knowledge of who we are and where we work and we are aligned uh, going in the same way and we have some success in the past um, and and therefore we will continue. But the, the, the knee-jerk reaction of marketing directors to justify the agency you know, in certain cases it may well be justified but in in many i think it it, it kind of just petty so am i right in saying um barnes Catmer and friends was was that the first time you'd founded an agency uh yes you are absolutely right there ben I've, i haven't i was going to claim that i founded bbh and widening kennedy but no just the names give it away just the one just um, the one, and that was quite hard enough. So, so how how did your approach change when you were the sort of founder and owner of a creative agency versus when you were working in one for someone else? Did your approach to creativity and clients change in any way? Did you think differently of um, the way you worked for clients? Did you change the way you worked when you were um, basically signing off paychecks every month versus when you were turning up taking one from someone else? Yeah, absolutely. The it, it, it is a com- completely different mentality. Uh, you look at you look at things uh, in a, in a different way. I mean, personally, I always like to encourage ownership um, of the agency. There's a degree of when I worked at DDB, there was a degree of ownership within within the company of DDB New Zealand, and I think that still exists. And within, say, Colenso, there is a degree of um, ownership or a distribution of Clemens' shares within that organization. And I don't think it is coincidence that those two are the most successful agencies in New Zealand over the last 20 years. I think that's, I think that's really important. I think it's crazy that, that, that it's not, it's not done more when you hold up examples like that. What about, what about the honesty you spoke about? You know, so, so if you, now you're owning your own agency if you're really honest with a client, you risk losing them. Whereas if you're really honest with a client and you risk losing them, a bigger company doesn't really impact you too much. Does it make you less brave and forthcoming with your views? No, I don't think so. When I, uh, the 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 honesty is is obviously tempered. You're not you're not say you, you you walk out of a meeting where you think there have been some idiotic views expressed. You don't you don't go and say that. There's a there's an old advertising saying, tell them twice, then take their money, which is, I don't, you go, look, I really don't think that that, that is the ideal strategy that, that we should be using going forward. And they go, no, 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 this is what we want to do. And the second time you go, are you sure about this, guys? Because it doesn't really seem to make sense to me. Um, and, and if they go, no, this is absolutely what we're going to do, then you go, oh, you, you go ahead and do it. 
there was no at no time working for a large agency did, did I ever want to like gamble with the ongoing relationship with a client any more than I, I, I did in, in my own. Just honesty in terms of maybe saying things that, that other people were scared to say because the client might not want to hear them. But, it, but it's not a case of um, being rude or, or aggressive or, or, or not reading the room. You, you pick up you know, hopefully reasonably early when you, you're saying things that the client that the client really doesn't want to hear and yeah then you that, then you shut up so there was no thought for me that um when it was you actually had skin in the in in, in the game that you would change your outlook there no yeah okay okay interesting um over over the years you've worked on huge number of campaigns what would be some of your favorites and i'm keen to understand um the, the the strategy for them, the creative strategy that you took. Hmm. Um, okay, I'm going to talk about one from the UK. Um, so I, I worked on um, a product called Dime, D I M E, which is now called D A I M. Oh, that's my favourite chocolate bar. That's the best. There you go. Oh. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a chocolate bar from Sweden, and they've. They particularly you always get it at duty free and at IKEA's. They're they're very fond of it. And so I worked on this in London, and I, I I'm with you. I loved it. I'm not a big chocolate eater, but I love. Oh, there's something about dying. it. Uh, and and for those who, those of you who never tried it, it's it's fairly ordinary chocolate on the outside. It's like burnt. It's like brittle burnt caramel on the inside. Even that descriptor doesn't sound very nice. But when you bite into it it's awesome but a lot of people don't like it um uh, and or don't understand it so they don't like it so we and I, I, I don't know why that is but it was it was very polarizing you know they, they do research and, and they sit around it and i i don't trust or believe in um really in judging uh, creative but putting creative into research i don't i don't think you generally get a fair view out of it but I, I but i have no problem in in testing the product and asking people what they think about the product before you do it that makes absolute sense to me all right so i so said it's very polarizing uh, some people love it some people hate it so we devised a campaign about uh, uh the the fact that not everybody likes it some people like it some people hate it but when the client the client said uh, we cannot uh, possibly countenance the fact that there might be people who don't like our product. Please go away and do something else. So uh, uh, we went away and, and did something else. Then approximately 18 months later, Marmite came out with a campaign. Oh, you either love it or you hate it. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, that's the frustration of um, working in our business. But anyway, we did, uh, did an ad for Dime Bar with Harry Enfield. Oh, perfect. Um, and it was a, a, a TV ad, one in particular, with Harry Enfield and John Lloyd, who was a director. Uh, John Lloyd is uh, one of the premier comedy-producing directing talents in the UK, and he was involved in Blackadder and Spitting Image and QI. And he actually uh, is on record as saying that that some of the things he's most proud of are the ads that he directed, and that was one of them. And it, it so this came out in about 1995. No, never won any awards, never won any uh, creative awards, but 
So it came out in 1995. On YouTube, it has got half a million hits. This, wow. this is an ad that practically came out before the invention uh, of the internet, and yet people remember it so well from their youth, from their youth, youth that they uh, that they go up and and have a look at it. The number of uh, kids who went around, it's, it's called armadillos. The number of kids who ran around the playground screaming armadillos. Uh, people in England on occasion still for, uh, used to refer to the, each other as dime bars, meaning they were thick in <laughs> those expressions. So that, that was that was something that, that was um, culturally um, interesting. And that, and that was a pure way of describing the product. People couldn't understand what the dime bar was. So we said uh, um, dime bars are smooth on the outside, crunchy on the inside. Uh, whereas an armadillo is crunchy on the outside, smooth on the inside. And that was, I, I don't think that, it, it's one of those things that the client insists that we need to tell people this, but you kind of have the idea that people don't really care about that. They just find it funny that it's an air with armadillos in it. Yeah, so. yeah. So there you go. Yeah, you look, look up, look up um, Dime Bar Armadillos on YouTube and have a look. It probably to Kiwis mean absolutely nothing. But believe me, if you were 12 in, in the UK when that came out, I know that was a big thing. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, Paul, look, a um, couple of questions left. Look, the last, uh, second last one is what do, what do big companies know that small businesses don't when it comes to advertising or marketing in your experience? Well, they, they have a – big companies have, a, have an entire department to it and that, that are you know, supposedly trained and expert in doing it and small companies don't. And I think it actually can – often be an advantage for the small companies that they don't have anyone who professes to be an expert and they they can they can just do it and they go well okay that makes that makes sense to me that's maybe something we should do um i i really don't think that there's that there's that much advantage that um big companies have a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs are really marketers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they the ideas that come out from entrepreneurs often Often, frequently, are not that great, but the ones that succeed are the ones that are best marketed and best sold. An almost cliched uh, New Zealand example of that would be 42 Below, which was okay. It's quite an old product now, and I'm not even sure it exists anymore. But it certainly made the founders an awful lot of money. And it's, it's a vodka. There are plenty of vodkas. It was a premium vodka. Nobody wanted a premium vodka from New Zealand. I'm pretty sure if you did global research as to what consumers want, nobody would have said, what we really want is a vodka that comes from Wellington or wherever. But uh, uh, you know, Jeff Ross was the, was the founder with, it, um, with uh, Justine, his wife, and he, was, he just marketed the hell out of everything. And the product took off and um, did a fantastic job. That always go, almost goes against my point that that uh, you know start with a start with a great product because you know, it, it's vodka. And but yeah, did did fantastically well. Entirely entirely based on marketing, and then they hand it over to I think the Bacardi Group, and the product just died. Well, they start. I mean, they to be fair, they did start with a great product. The brand was part of the product, wasn't it? Uh yes. Well, I think I think when with booze they. They almost they have to be because what what you're selling is just a um, mind altering, addictive yeah. substance. Yeah. And you think you know I'm I'm not a massive drinker, but I but I sit here uh, talking to you and I'm looking at my cocktail cabinet, which has got about 
um, 20 different different bottles of various descriptions spread out and you know, all they are is a, is a slightly different taste that that um it gives you a nice warm buzz inside and a hangover the next day so they're they're, they're pretty much all interchangeable that's the power of brands though isn't it you could say the same about the, about cars about beers you know no exactly no exactly that's what i'm saying um uh, less yeah, actually uh, more so about cars these days in the old days there was quite a lot of difference but these days cars cars are far more alike than they are different mm. all right paul look you'll be pleased to know we're we're at the end of our time this is this has been an awesome an awesome discussion really interesting it's, it's not me it's the audience will be pleased to know we're at the end of our time <laughs> yeah oh, most of them will be gone by now it'll, yeah. it'll, it's just be, it'll just be my mum left it's, it's just you me and your mum <laughs> yep yep hello mum um Look, to end our time, um, what would be the single piece of advice you'd leave our listeners with, that they could, something that they could go and action tomorrow? Uh, if you're not happy with your job, leave. Excellent. I think that's good advice. Is that one, you, is that one you've lived by? Yes, yes. Uh, but sometimes it's taken me a long time to to get round to it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. It, it, uh, but if, if you're not happy and... And you spend, one spends most of one's time doing at work, doing one's job. If you're not happy doing that, and that, that's eight hours a day of your working time being unhappy, then you really you really have to have to look at changing it. It, it doesn't mean that you know, do it every five minutes, but overall. So I've, I've jumped from a job. Sometimes you have to, you don't know where you're going to land. And generally there is, there is a safety net. Because it it makes you. you know, I I wasn't happy working in the in the casino in London, but I didn't have any qualifications to do anything. So I went to the Bahamas. I just jumped because I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing now. Mm. So I, I'll be happy doing that. So I did that. I was in the Bahamas. I just jumped after a year and a half. I had enough of this. I just went back to the UK. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I I literally turned up in London and I think it was freelancing for some I don't know a telecom company or something, doing something completely mindless. Uh, went, went to advertising college and um, spent 10 years working in London. Enough. Wasn't happy with it. That 10 years was probably too long. Jumped and um, went straight into another job. So, yeah, there you go. That's my, that's my life advice. I reckon that's good doing, advice. So, uh, actually, an example of that is – sorry, another example. Um, this is just for your mum again, Ben. I was, I was working in uh, Melbourne at uh, – at uh, George Pat's Wine Art, and mm. I'd, I'd been there a year, and I really didn't like what was happening. And there was, was a big job, and I and for just context, left. You'd, you'd left New Zealand to go to Australia, hadn't you? So you'd moved countries for the job. Yeah, uh, yes, it, it, it actually turned out that way. And my my view of that was, I love New Zealand. I love living and working in New Zealand. But hey, I'm going to go to Australia. Maybe I'll love that more. Yeah. If I don't, I'll come back. I went over there. I didn't love it more. So I, I quit and came back. Now, I guess as some people would say, oh, you know, well, that wasn't very good because you, you're a senior position and, and, and you quit after a year. I, to which I go, I wasn't happy doing it, so mm. I stopped doing it to do yeah. something else. Yeah. That, that idea of what I, I, I'm beating my head against a brick wall, I can either stop or uh, hang on, that would be quitting, so I must keep doing it. Makes makes no sense to me. It's not called quitting anymore. It's called pivoting. So, <laughs> which is totally fine. In fact, you should pivot. You you should pivot. Yeah. So be prepared to pivot, folks. Awesome, Paul. Thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it.
Right, no worries. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.